The Big Honker Podcast is proud to be sponsored by the one and only 737 Duck Calls. 100% American craftsmanship. Select grade components, machine turned, hand polished, precision tuned, and superior sound. What more could you ask for? Get down to www.737duckcalls.com and pick you up a new call for the upcoming season. This podcast is brought to you by Natural Gear. Natural Gear, the science of camouflage. Natural Gear has been providing hunters and outdoorsmen with effective camouflage patterns and quality hunting clothing for over 20 years. Natural Gear's approach to camouflage is based on a science using mid-tone colors, vertical orientation, and natural shadowing to help conceal in any environment. New 2018 patterns and products are available now at www.naturalgear.com. And use code BIGHONKER15 at checkout to receive 15% off your total order. Excludes outlet items. So folks, jump on Natural Gear's website, look it up, pick you out some clothing, put in BIGHONKER15, that's BIGHONKER and all in uppercase letters, and 1-5 at checkout to receive 15% off your total order. Hey folks, this podcast is also brought to you by William & Chris Vineyard. You can look them up at williamandchriswines.com and they've got out Sway Rosé. You like how I said that, Chris? Rosé. Sway Rosé. It's like fucking 12, 13% alcohol by volume. It will get you lit. Go get you some today. They sell it at Bucky's, H-E-B, Whole Foods. Central Market. Central Market. And at their vineyard in High Texas. You're not getting this You're not getting this high-quality wine at Walmart. All right, you got to go to Whole Foods or a classy joint like that. It's William Chris Vineyards at williamchriswines.com. And this podcast is brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, home of the Big Honker Lodge. Folks, if you're looking for any type of hunt, waterfowl, pheasants, ducks and geese would be waterfowl, hogs, deer, turkey. Look us up at stanfieldhunting.com. Folks, we've been in Knox City, Texas for 27 years at the Big Honker Lodge. World famous Big Honker Lodge, too. Anyways, look us up. Come see us. We'd love to have you. Come out here and you can sit down at the table right where we do the podcast. We're going to have shirts and merchandise available soon. You'll be able to buy on the Big Honker Podcast website or at stanfieldhuntingoutfitters.com. Anyways, that's Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, home of the world-famous Big Honker Lodge. Thank you. And last but not least, this podcast is also brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. Dive Bomb is the leader in silhouette manufacturing in the decoy market today. We use them exclusively. They're the silhouette of choice here at the Big Honker Lodge. They can handle everything that you throw at them. And the thing that I like the most about them, other than just the awesome paint colors and all that other good stuff, is the way that they stack up. You know, they stack up nice and neat. You can throw five dozen in a bag. And if you're even in remotely good shape, you can throw three bags over you. All of a sudden, you're carrying 15 dozen decoys out into the field. So on those days, farmer doesn't let you drive in. You can throw you some dive bombs over your, over your shoulder, and you can basically carry the whole spread or damn near close to it. For listeners of this podcast, Dive Bomb is going to let you save 10% off of your checkout by using the promo code BIGHONKER. That's two words, all lowercase, big space honker. You can save yourself 10% at checkout. The season is coming up. Go get the decoy spread that you've always wanted and save yourself some money. And that promo code is only good through the month of July. They're going to quit doing the promos for anybody after the end of July. Oh, shit. End of July? Yep. Motherfucker. So two more weeks. You got two weeks, people. Go now. Go to DiveBombIndustries.com today. Use the promo code because it ends at the end of July. Take advantage of it. All right, boys and girls, on this episode of the podcast, we have John Adams of 
president of Natural Gear Camouflage. He sits down with us, takes time out of his day to uh, talk about duck hunting in general and some of the new products that are coming out from Natural Gear. And it is just one of those interviews that we had a great time doing, and we are very, very thankful that he would take time out of his day because uh, hunting season's coming up. So for guys like him, uh, you know, it's his busy time trying to make sure stores have everything that they need. So the fact that he would take time out of his day to talk to us means a lot. So, uh, and also there is a little giveaway going on in the, in the middle of this podcast. So be sure to listen to that and you can win yourself, uh, maybe a new jacket or something from natural gear. So anyway, listen for that, play along and you can win yourself a jacket, but you got to play by the rules. So. Anyway, without further ado, here he is, John Adams, president of Natural Gear. Three, two, one. Boom. And welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm Andy Shaver. So happy to have everybody along with us today. And on our phones, we have John Adam, the president of Natural Gear. How are you today, sir? Hey, you doing good, guys. Everything's good down here my way, man. We're just getting busy and getting geared up. I've got a, a warehouse full of product and trucks backing up out here every day. So it's uh, the stores are starting to fill them shelves up and uh hopefully everybody's thinking about going hunting pretty soon now natural gear y'all been in business 25 years and you're in arkansas correct mm-hmm. you're an arkansas that's company now that's right yeah. t- tell us how natural gear got going man it started actually uh, the the guy that invented it is, is from here he's from down the little town in southeast arkansas and at the time he was uh you know did a lot of hunting was grew up in it you know kind of like we all did and and uh as we as you get later into the season, you guys know the leaves come off the trees, a lot of foliage changes, and, and he was hunting with his brother, and and uh, the, the particular place they hunt down the Mississippi River has a lot of bears, and uh, he said they were coming out one afternoon. He dropped his brother off. He said, "Man, look at that bear over in that tree," and he said somebody put a binoculars on it and said, "That's not a bear. That's that's your brother." And he goes, "Well, man, look how black." big black block you know <laughs> so it just kind of it hit him right then he thought man you know this is this is the best thing we can buy right now uh, but, but there's got to be a little bit better way and that's when he just started basically just started taking a lot of different photographs all across the country and just the, the one common theme that kept popping back up are these open broad base colors mm-hmm. there's a light there's kind of a light color tone that just kind of exist in the woods 99% of the time, almost no matter where you go. So that's kind of where he based this natural pattern off of. And that pattern that, that you know, he and patented the whole nine yards and got that to market, we haven't changed that portion of it, you know, ever. Our, our original natural pattern has stayed the same, you know, throughout the, the history of our company, you know. So it's, it's, our, it's our bread and butter. You know, it's the one when when people think of us, that's what they think about. Since those times, you know, we've added a snow pattern, which does real well for us, and I do some blaze. 
And I do a uh, I do a green spring pattern. It's real good for early bow season two. And uh, we just added this fall. Uh, we've got a, a big following of waterfowlers and, and have had for a long time. And we've been asked over the years if we could just put a little bit of grass, put some grass over that natural. If you could just do this, you know, and you you, you hear that, and you hear it, and you kind of put it in the back file for a long time. And but it just it kept becoming so prevalent that that uh, we started. You know, kind of laying some things out here a couple of years ago, and and uh, finally got this new fields pattern the way we liked it. It's actually it's all local ingredients from from right around here where we hunt. It's rice, smartweed, millet, nutsedge, you name it. Basically, the stuff that comes out of you know just about any wetland you know across the across the country. So uh, we 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 like it. It's been a real good received well for us you know so far this year and uh we hope we hope it uh, hits store shelves and is well received by the general public so now how long um when you're kind of testing a, a new product or something how long will you uh have it in the test phases before you roll it out for the general public is it a season is it is it longer than that tell us about that you know it's usually a season you know traditionally you can do it in a season you know something like a new pattern it took longer just to just to really kind of get happy with it, uh, you know, because color, you know, color is a funny thing, and uh, you know, sometimes things that look really good under the lights of your office, you right. take them outside. You take it outside, and there's a little change there. Yeah, and you know, that, that's the, you, you got to have the thing that looks good outside. So we went through a lot of different changes on this before we got happy with it. But traditionally, on a product, though, you know, it's usually a season. You know, you usually go through a season on it. We'll wear it. We got guys in the field that are wearing. They'll be like, "Why don't we put a pocket right there? How come right. this doesn't have a zipper? Or, that needs a beard guard, or you know, this needs the shoulders need to be articulated different, where you can swing your gun a little bit better. You know, so this kind of things like that, and just and I'll have a I'm kind of old school, so I'll have a I'll just have kind of a yellow a yellow note sheet where I'll have the product name written down, and I'll kind of check along the things I'm you know we're thinking about changing, you know, kind of as we go along. So because traditionally a, a silhouette from us. You know, if we're happy with it, you know, you won't see a, a mass change to that. You'll just see improvements. We may change the fabric. We may change the zipper. We may change the lining, you know, thing like, things like that. Right. And I, and I tell you what, I've got, a, I've got a new respect for camouflage designers like you guys because about 10 years ago, uh, me and my buddy, we were going to make the, the new camo pattern. It's going to be what everybody wore and... Uh, never found just just designing it was just ridiculously hard could never get colors to match so uh we scrapped that idea very very quickly and uh you know i stick to what i do best and that's that's killing ducks and geese but there you go i'll I'll leave i'll leave the camo design to the professionals yeah it's not as easy as it looks like you know it's uh i work with you know a lot of different factories all over the world but uh you know one of the in particular fabric guys i work with and that's basically kind of what he does kind of on the side is, is he helps guys develop camo patterns and you know he'll tell you they call him up and he tells them you know it's not gonna work you know it's gonna cost this much and yeah. you're not gonna have anything when you're done he said but to a man he said they all still want to do it mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. you know because it really and truly in, in this thing you guys know in anything i mean no different than marketing your business it's it's really all about uh it's all about marketing getting the word out there and and just kind of doing doing what you say you're going to do. You know, we we kind of feel like we're the we kind of feel like we're just the, the the average average Joe kind of outdoor company is kind of how we feel like we've got. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that we've got the 
best thing in the world, but it's pretty good and the price is right. And that's kind of where we've kind of stuck along, you know, along the way. And, and now we're starting to, you know, really explore just some, some different fabrics and different materials and, and using better DWRs and better laminates and, and just putting some better, you know, better product out there the last few years. And, you know, the feedback from the customer has been there for us. And so we're excited going forward, like I said, with these new patterns and some of these new styles have all really been well received. So the ultimate test comes up when they, when, like I said, they're starting to hit the store shelves here in just a, right now and in the coming weeks. So. Let's let's talk about this natural natural cut down waterfowl jacket we're going to be giving away. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. The natural cut down waterfowl jacket, and, you know, kind of like uh, where I where I stand on that jacket is is, and like I said, I may be a little biased, but I really feel like it's it's the best around a hundred dollar waterfowl jacket there kind of is out there. It's got a nice hard shell exterior that's going to be waterproof, windproof. It's got a fully waterproof front zipper. Got two chest pockets, got neoprene cuffs, hook and loop closures, fully fleece lined, fleece lined hand warmer pockets. It's got a hood, articulated elbows, bi-swung shoulders. Man, it's it's got it's got a little bit of everything. And this is kind of this 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 particular piece came from a, a previous silhouette that we've been doing. We just basically changed the style and the fabric, but it had always been a great seller for us. And and uh, like I said, I think for the money. You know, a lot of guys just say, man, there it is. And really and truly, if, if you buy it, uh, it's it's kind of in our overcut series. Made for if you would like to layer under it, you can. You know, you put on a fleece or whatever it may be underneath that or some sort of base layers, and you can go a long way. You know, we had some rough rough weather last winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it was kind of, that was kind of a decade kind of deal. You know, we don't get those very often. But uh, we've got stuff that will take care of you through that, too, so. So th- this is fat boy friendly, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yep. And it's got the magnetic pocket. One of one of the pockets yep, is magnetic. It's got one. Yeah, it's got one on the chest, and then the other one is zippered. Sure the, the magnetic pocket is the greatest thing ever invented for waterfowl. Yeah, clothes, it I is. Think. It is. That's right. Easy yeah. to get in and out of. You ain't got, nothing worse than trying to get a zipper up and down. Because eventually, oh, if you wear a jacket a long time, the zipper gets harder to get up and down, anyways. And then you got to yeah, take your damn ja- your gloves off to get into it. And, you know, really and truly, this is the thing that, that most consumers don't know, but zippers are supposed to be conditioned, you know, ever so now and then. They actually make a an oil, almost, that you put in them. So nobody does that. Nobody's going to do that. So right. they all have they all have a failure rate. You know, at some point, they're mm-hmm. all going to give up. But uh, we've been using, uh, this is a full-length waterproof zipper. And not only does it have a real good look to it, it's really functional. You know, and, and they're really tough. We've had excellent luck out of them. I've been using them on the side of bibs for the past three or four years and then we just changed over jackets if that bib leg zipper will take it just about anything will because guys put a lot of stress on those and they're up and down a lot well and not only that you know like like the way we hunt those those zips on those zippers on your bibs uh mm-hmm. get in the dirt a lot so if they, can, if they can handle that then yep absolutely they'll handle a jacket yep and that's that's what that's what happens is you get a little something you get too much stuff in those teeth it will still function, but what it does usually when you go over it too many times, that dirt in it is going to—it's going to just tear up a tooth or two just enough, and then you've lost it. So we try to have those covered where you can't get as much stuff up in there, you know. Because I know out there, you guys are out in that red mud. And I'm sure there's yep. plenty of days that it's wet and nasty, and it's uh, that stuff is rough on everything. Oh, it's it's terrible. So you mentioned you—you yeah. you guys have been in business 25 years. 
How have you seen uh, things progress as far as getting your name out there and just and selling products in general? You know, I think now, uh, you know, just kind of from when I, I started here in, in 1999, and, uh, you know, then really it was, it was really all about, you know, wholesale accounts and getting in these big box stores. You know, you had to be in Bass Pro Shops. You had to be in Dick's Sporting Goods. You had to be in Cabela's. You know, you had to be in all these stores. You had to be on the floor. And that's certainly, that's a, you know, that's a great business model. That was kind of the thing you did then. You you went after those, and, and it was almost a whatever-it-took mentality to get to get those doors. And you know, that, that works. It certainly works. It, it's slim margin. You know, at the end of the day, it's a lot of work for, you know, not a lot of pie. But I think as as things have kind of progressed, what, where we've kind of found ourselves to work best is in, you know, what I call these mid-major type retailers, you know, max sporting goods you know Mm -hmm. these big big single store accounts that you basically have a relationship with and simmons sporting goods down in louisiana fort thompson's here in town uh you know just kind of accounts that we make a relationship with and you get to know them know the customer and and they they like your product they use your product they help sell your product and it's more of a of a personal uh attachment then but even even more so all those guys have major league websites, you know, and then now, you know, just the same as we do, have a, a website and sell on our website. Now that product, it's still a lot of guys that want to go touch it and feel it and try it on, and that's uh, that's certainly important. But there's a lot more people too that'll they'll just buy it right there on their phone, especially the younger generation. Yep. Uh, you know, they'll, they're traditionally going to, you know, if they like Max Sporting Goods or they like Simmons or whatever store it may be, they may buy it through their website or they, you know, they may buy it somewhere else, but uh, I think that's the biggest change I've seen, really, as you see these big box accounts, what they're doing more now, uh, you know, they've came out with their own camo patterns. Yeah. And they've, expand, they've expanded their own line of clothing. Obviously, hey, well, I mean, you, you can't blame them. They make a, a much better margin and and uh, less less people to deal with. And, and if they know that their customer is not necessarily shopping for X brand or X X, and you can fill that gap and, and make a make a better margin. That's what they're doing, you know, to survive. So that's what we've seen really more than anything is you've is when it seems like in the nineties, if, if you weren't at all those all those big big box outlets, you were nobody really knew who you were. And and now it's 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 quite a bit easier now, you know, to kind of get the word out and to to spread your message. And you know, with social media and all the online outlets, there's. There's really not any reason for nobody to know about you. You know, you still have to still cost to market, even if you use those platforms. But it's just a little bit easier. Whereas, you know, before, if a guy didn't see you hanging on a store shelf, he didn't really know who you were. Right, he wasn't going to get it. And I that's tell you, right. And I tell you another thing: those those big outlets have not only they're not only making their own camouflage now, but they're also coming out with their own line of uh, of decoys. Right, they are. Yeah. I mean, they're just kind of becoming yeah. a one stop shop. And if their name's not on it, it's getting harder and harder to. To find yeah, it it's almost stores. like they have just decided that their guy is the guy that just doesn't care about the brand. Right. And, and, and I say, if that's your guy, so be it. Lean into your niche. But, you know, I think we all know just from just from anybody that will ask you or that you even people that you deal with, you know, there's certain guys, they're going to use X decoys, they're going to shoot X shotgun, and they're going to shoot X shotgun shells. And if you don't have those, they're not interested. So, yeah. you know, and I think there's always going to be people like that. On the other spectrum, there's probably as many or more people that, they don't care what brand it is. It's a hundred bucks. Does it keep me dry? That looks like a mounted duck right there, decoy. I'll take twelve of them. <laughs> so, 
you know yeah. i think there's a i think there's kind of all kinds of you know i think as you as you look into social media it doesn't look like there's as many of those kind of guys but i think there are because the ones that are that are really you know what i've considered you know really brand-based people you know they're they're pretty loud on social so mm-hmm. so so do you think that uh having a strong social media following is the kind of the most important thing in the game right now you know, I think it makes a difference. I don't. I don't know if it's necessarily the most important thing, but I think it's. I think that's how we have to connect with these with the younger generation that's that's out there actually using the product. And it's, you know, and it's instant. You know, if, if, right. a, if a guy if a guy buys this jacket, if there's something he likes or doesn't like about it, he don't have to pick up the phone. He don't have to do anything. He can drop a message in there. I may not get it immediately. I will get it, mm-hmm. and I will read it, and and I will respond to it. Uh, so I think that's that's the biggest thing is. Is you can get instant feedback, you know, from a as far as from a uh, a business standpoint of, of whether or not you're you're going well. And hey, feedback comes in all forms. I mean, we all love the we all love the good stuff, but uh, you know, every now and then you got you get some bad stuff, and, and uh, you know, it's, sometimes it makes sense, you know, other times it doesn't. So I've I've certainly had I have had that call where it was, man, I got this jacket and. The pocket don't work. Well, I know better. Well, mm-hmm. he just got one that they happened to sew the pocket shut on. So I'll just, right. you know, I'll, I'll send him another one. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, now, now, you know, you got to watch that guy because now if, if if a guy like that sends that kind of message and nobody responds to him in 48 hours, the next one might be time to trash and bash. But, right. uh, you know, I think people read through that too. You know, I think a lot of people kind of know that, uh, that they kind of read through some of that stuff is isn't isn't uh, always portrayed properly but, but uh, i do i think social media is real important and, and we try to stay on top of it i've we do you know the bulk of our own here and i use a couple of, of uh people here to help kind of with the management of it just to kind of keep it all in the same flow and and we've got several you know different field guys out there that are and we kind of point them in a direction you know mm-hmm. every month of, of what we need you know the the up in media on and and you'll try to stay relevant to what seasons are are open or what are what's coming so yeah and you know the worst thing about social media is when they don't give you the chance to respond or defend yourself it's just right. they, they put it out there and it's just all oh, this uh stanfield hunting outfitters worst experience i've ever had and it's like well just hold on a second like number right. one uh you were in our office and everything was fine and now three days later you're back at home just give us a chance to make it right and we will but yeah i think traditionally what you know what i've uh, over the years i've had a lot of different people that help us do customer service and you know it's always the the last stop was whenever they said well, hey you're gonna have to talk to this guy really? <laughs> so I, I always know that means that he's just gonna be annihilated mad you know <laughs> and traditionally it's like well i bought this thing and they didn't it's it tore it i'm like man well, just what's the address and what's what size? Yeah. What what for? What do you need to know that for? Because I'm gonna send you a new one. Yeah. You know, and it's usually that simple. That dis- dissolves the whole situation, and then the guy's a customer. He's like, "Well, that's not really what I'm asking for." Well, I don't matter. That's what you get. So, you know, <laughs> throw the other one away or give it to your brother-in-law. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's that's what I that's what I usually say because you know, if a guy's bought something from you and it, it didn't work for him, then I want to try to make him happy. I don't. I certainly don't want to make him make it matter but uh that's that doesn't happen very often anymore you know really and truly everybody everybody in the in the marketplace right now on the clothing side of things 
the the quality from everyone has gotten so much better than when we in the late nineties. A lot of things were questionable. <laughs> uh, you know, when everybody first kind of when we lost all of our United States factories, basically in the nineties, and everybody starts making the leap. Uh, you know, there were some questionable things that we all dealt with at that time. That from just you know things not even being sewn on, and you know that kind of thing. That stuff has come so far. Even with brands you may have never heard of, their their the quality has really come a long way. So that's that is a plus. So I I, I went I worked through those. Those were some trying times when we first changed factories, and and uh, you know it wasn't really by choice. You know when the when the boom kind of fell in the U.S. when everybody finally folded up shop, you know it was all kind of over at once. Yeah. So. so so let's let's talk about you as a person. Did you grow up? Mm-hmm. I mean, you grew up a duck hunter. I'm, I'm assuming. You know, I did. I, I grew up here in Arkansas, and and we duck hunted, and that was for, you know, for. I was convinced all through my teen years that that's what I was really supposed to do every day season. So, <laughs> so I didn't, uh, I didn't really, I didn't really study on doing a whole lot of other things. So that's that's what I really did, and it was a it was a good time. You know, I grew up in the in the 80s and early 90s and it was it was kind of a, it, it's great right now and this is the heyday but it was really good then it was it, we were during some you know there was a whole lot of two duck limit you know going through there so yeah uh i was kind of would you say the limit I, was you know for years there in the in the 80s and 90s we were on two ducks you know yeah. it wasn't until i think our first i think mallards went up in 95 was the first year, and I went to a lot of thirty-day seasons, you know, and uh, so it was. It was a different time. It was basically that time was about the time people my dad's age, which he'll be seventy this fall. So the, the time we went to two ducks, and they cut the season to thirty days. His age group, which at that time he would have been probably around fifty, his age group. That's when a lot of them pulled out. See, that's Babies. when I. That's when I yeah. started goose hunting because of our duck yeah. limits too. I mean, it just it's no fun to go out and shoot two ducks. I mean, it's right. still duck hunting. They wouldn't do it. But he no. would not do it. He wouldn't put the work. He's like, no. He's like, you boys, get after it. <laughs> you know, which I understand. He was busy. He was working. He was he was doing what he was doing. But a lot of guys his age, that's when they quit. You know, that's when they stopped. And he came back a little bit, you know. But, uh, you know, obviously nothing like he used to be, you know, just due to age. He still hunts some. But he enjoys taking kids deer hunting, turkey hunting more than anything. So. Well, I tell you what, that, I did. Like I said, I, I grew up kind of hunting everything, and then, uh, the, like I said, the duck hunting was my big thing. And then, you know, being here, obviously, kind of the the waterfowl mallard mecca of the world. So, uh, just enjoyed it and, and enjoyed growing up here. And how I got involved in this was, uh, and this would be good advice for anybody that is that's interested in ever, because we all get those calls. How do I how do I work in the outdoors? You know, how do I how do I do that? And it's uh, this would be good advice for anyone. I was I was working, you know, just part time kind of gig, and was was going to school, and and uh, we started up a Ducks Unlimited chapter there. So, or actually, I got on a committee. Somebody asked me to join the committee and help sell tickets and yada yada. So I go to this my first little committee meeting, and I'm probably the youngest by at least twenty five years. I mean, it's a bunch of it's a bunch of older guys, but I knew they all had real good places to hunt, so I wanted to. <laughs> yeah. definitely was, you know, I was definitely, I thought no matter what, this will work out. So, you know, it comes time at the end of the little meeting, start handing out tickets, and this guy gets five. I think I can sell six. I said, well, man, just give me a hundred. 
Mm-hmm. I think it was do what? Not supposed to get, I'm on 100. I think it was 100. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm 22 or 23. I'm like, man, I can come up with 100 buddies that'll come to the DU bank and drink beer for 35 bucks in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of hack. And then I think they're kind of like, ooh, I don't know if we want those guys or not. <laughs> so, but, uh, so that's kind of how it all started, and I, and I grew up to those ranks, and we grew that banquet to be just outstanding. It was really a part of the community, but what I made throughout that thing was I made a lot of connections and relationships with the guys that were involved in you know, the, the upper end of the conservation and a lot of different businesses and that kind of thing. And that's actually, uh, I got the call from the, the, uh, from the fellow that was the state chairman of Arkansas Ducks and Lemon at the time. He said, man, you ought to call this guy over here at Natural Gear Camo. He needs somebody like you. I've already told him all about you. And uh, that's that's kind of how it happened. That's And now, uh, whenever I was going to Ducks Unlimited meetings at that time, they, they had these uh, pretty little girls that would bring you a beer about every 15 minutes if you needed to. I think they still do that. You know, I, I, I hate to say it, I only go about one or two a year, you know. Yeah. I, I really do. I, I go to the ones I can that are in here close, and I still support those guys. But... Uh, those you talk that's another thing that has just changed so immensely you know in in the early 90s you you walk in the door just about anywhere and say man i need a hundred dollars or i need a thousand dollars i need this we're gonna do this for the ducks and man nine times out of ten you get it you know now there are so many people fighting for that dollar it's uh it's amazing it is it's a, such a different a different ball game i talked to the guy now that's the that's the regional director, and he was the director there when I was kind of at, at the end of it. And uh, it's just changed. They have to really, really fight for that for that dollar, just because there's, you know, we got kids. You know, I've got to give him fifty bucks to, you know, be the number one. You're not going to sell any cookies. We're just going to give them all to somebody. Or, you know, it's always it's just something constant. Somebody's asking, you know, with their hand out to help support something. So it's a uh, at that point there when the it was almost like the perfect storm. You know, the ducks had, had fell down, and they'd cut the season back, and it was almost like people were, they wanted to help out, and, you know, I, I think they did. So, Well, that's the same way with us. You know, as a waterfowl outfit, we get every organization oh, yeah. that wants, yeah. that wants you know, hey, we're doing this, we're doing this, and, you know, we love to help everybody, but there's only so much uh, mm-hmm. that, that we can do. That's right. That's right. And, hey, all the conservation organizations out there, Water Delta Waterfowl, Ducks Unlimited, Rocky Mountain, NWTF, QDMA. I mean, they all need our help. They're all, you know, they they all need our help. But like I said, you can you can spread yourself too thin. You know, we try to give locally. You know, it's kind of how we do it. You know, with our local chapters here, that's kind of the guys we work through. And and you know, here again, the reason that uh, we do most of that, not only because we like to help, but it's guys we've gotten to know. You know, there's a relationship there. You know, and uh, you know they help us out. So. And what was the most frustrating part for us was, you know, we were at one point, one point in time, we were the the wintering ground for a million plus Canada geese, and right. you're giving all this to Ducks Unlimited, and you're not seeing a single thing that you're not seeing a single DU project out here. And it's just like, come, mm-hmm. I mean, how how, you know, we're giving you all this stuff. When is our back going to be scratched in this? In this is there scenario? is there some stuff hap- is there some stuff happening out there now? No, no, nothing no, at all. Still nothing. You know, a, a friend of mine had a. He had a ranch. Y'all might even know it's well. It's just north of Guthrie, a little town called Grow, Texas. Where's it uh, called? Up in uh, just north of Guthrie, at Grow. Grow. I've never little, heard. I've never heard of Grow. Little, little old bitty spot in the road. But uh, he actually bought that place back in the. I think it was the early nineties, and he actually got some WRP money and 
and uh, they made two or three different, you know, big ponds and and uh, did some different projects. And the first time I came out there, <laughs> that the next fall or two, and there had been a rain, so he had some water. I thought, man, will you look at here? <laughs> and, uh, and he was a big duck hunter. He said, man, you're not going to believe the, the waterfowls in this country. And he was right. I didn't really believe him until I seen it firsthand. So I he, think they hunted with you guys actually a time or two way back when. Grow Texas. I have never heard of Grow Texas. And I chase tornadoes a lot, and I just, go through that just north of Just north of Guthrie on 83. So it's between there and Paducah then? Y- yep, about halfway. Yeah. Huh. Sure enough. Yes, I spent quite a bit of time out there in that country with him over the years. And, uh, man, that's just a, that's a game-rich region. Uh, and it's I, I always called it the uh, the place that time just forgot. That's been uh, I've had some fun times out there, but you, it's almost as if you, you kind of take a little step back in time when you get out that way. And a lot of people don't even know it exists. Yeah, and especially Knox City where we're at, because you we're not on a major highway. You got to get off of the major highway to get to us. So I had a turkey hunter this last year, and he said, "Man, I love Knox City because you got to be going there to get there." That's right. <laughs> That's how it was going to grow. Hey, there's no doubt about that. That's where, that's where you were headed, and you better bring it with you. There was a little <laughs> bitty station there at Guthrie, because uh, uh-huh. probably just because it's you know right next to six is the only reason it was even there. Yeah, that's right. But you know we get that a lot with hunters that come out here. They driving in from Dallas and Fort Worth, and they're you know they're kind of going through those breaks and stuff, and they're thinking, where in the hell are we going to shoot a duck or a goose here? I know. Yeah, it's it really is pretty amazing. And, I came through there one time, I guess out, probably would have been west of Benjamin, when you start getting in some of that wheat, and uh, it was, you know, in the winter, and I mean, them fields were just black, and I was like, this just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, interesting country, like I said, a lot of people that don't don't know what's there, and it's, man, if they haven't, if they haven't taken the time to come down there and spend a few mornings with you guys, they're, they're missing out. That is... Uh, to see the amount of them littles when they do it right, it's a it's a sight that everybody ever everybody that's ever hunted waterfowl ought to partake in it. Yeah, it's it's something else that'll that will uh, get you going for sure as as a mm-hmm. as a waterfowler. So what uh, you you had mentioned? What are the limits going to be? I mean, are the limits they're six now, aren't they in, in Arkansas or five? Yeah, five six mallards. Ducks. Yeah, we shoot four mallards. Four mallards. Here, so okay. Yeah, we get you four and. Uh, you know, really, as we've all gotten a little bit older, we talk about how good it would be if it was three so we could shoot and get out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think you kind of get that way. You know, it's like, yeah, let's, how many you got over? Oh, yeah, we, we, yeah, everybody's got a handful. Let's, uh, let's see he's on out of here. You know, now, especially if it's one of them good classic hunts, you know. Are the, are the big clubs, in, and I've never hunted in Arkansas, mm-hmm. are the big clubs, are those guys hunting out of pits, or do most of those guys timber hunting? You know, it kind of depends. You know, there's the, the, that timber is such a limited resource. Uh, there's there's obviously just not a whole lot of it now there are a a lot of of big timber clubs the exclusive green timber only clubs there's really and truly only a handful of them uh and then that out of that handful most of those are private they don't even commercial hunt so there's just a handful of those that even commercial hunt uh so there's a little bit of everything you know i would say overall as far as on private land, there's there's more hunting that gets done out of fields and pits than there is actually in timber. Well, because in life, I've I've noticed that most wealthy people do not want to have to be uncomfortable. Don't and want to do what? They do not like being uncomfortable. They don't want to be right. somewhere. <laughs> so mo- most yeah. of the wealthy wealthy men I know don't want to put on a pair of waders, ride on a mm-hmm. boat for fifteen minutes, and then have to stand in waders and kick water. 
to make That's movement. Right. So That's most right. of the guys I know that hunt with me or that I know that hunt in Arkansas, they've got a lot of money. They all have pits and rice fields and stuff that they're hunting. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so is that where the more of the game is in Arkansas now? Is the pit hunting around the edge of the timber? You know, it, like I said, Jeff, it really just depends kind of on the on the water and food situation. Really, I mean, a lot of these guys, some of the varieties that they're playing the rice now, they'll actually be harvesting here just any day now. Uh, so when that stuff starts coming out, the that's kind of the big equation now. The waste grain in certain situations is not really what it used to be anyway. Just from the 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 way equipment is now, it doesn't leave as much laying around. But uh, so, so some of that stuff's changed. You're seeing guys now. The, the places that are real successful here are, are kind of like everywhere else. They've they've learned that you got to have a rest area. They've learned you got to leave some food. You know, they've learned that you've got to leave. You know, they've they've just kind of learned that that's just how it is. I mean, there's X amount of ducks that are going to show up here. You know, at the end of October, and they're coming. You know, and there's it's going to kind of we're going to have a steady migration, you know, most of the season. But uh, we're like everywhere else, man. We depend on the big cold fronts, and hopefully it snows a bunch up north. Missouri stops a lot of the birds from Arkansas now, don't it? Well, you take a look at what those guys are doing. I mean, just just the few that are real active, you know, on, on social media and, and just take a look at what they're doing. I mean, they're really they're really taking care of. It's, it's hard to force one out if he's, if he's getting fed and he ain't getting shot at. You know? Yeah. So that's uh, – that's the difference, you know. And I, being at the end of the flyway, like like we we both are. I hate ice eaters. Oh, I hate them so bad. But I guarantee, you <laughs> if I was hunting up north, I'd have five of them. That's just, right. Just but that's right. But I'm just yeah. like son of a. Take that it's off. It's just and changed. Up. You know, it's just changed. It's you know, and overall, really and truly, it's probably good for the duck. You know, it yeah. probably is. You right. know, he's got more options. Uh, you know, whereas used to when he. When he packed his bags off one of them refuges in North North Missouri, the next place he stopped was was probably beyond the Black River in Arkansas because there wasn't much in between. So, uh, it's probably overall better for the ducks, but it's 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 still fantastic. Uh, you know, and it, there's still days that are really really good, uh, but uh, it's just different. It's just different now. It uh, like I said, it, I did it when the conditions line up and we get flooded rivers. And we get some back-to-back nice fronts and get the right kind of weather. It can be outstanding all across the state. Now it's hard for all those things to line up at once anymore. But traditionally, that's a good thing about having a 60-day season. Is is usually somewhere in those 60 days, you're going to have some river floods. You're going to have some different things like that. And uh, you know, can it can get a, it can get it can go from being not very good to jam up. Mm-hmm. Overnight. See, I, I've I've seen the good days and the bad days. The bad right. days are those two duck limit days. When mm-hmm. I was a kid, we could shoot ten ducks because we was on the point system in Texas. Yeah, and you could shoot ten pintails. Yeah, and I was, sure I've been on a lot yeah. of hunts with my dad and my brother where we shot thirty birds, lots. Yeah. When I was a kid growing up, and then yeah. I, I saw it when we went to two and three birds, and we quit duck hunting basically and started goose hunting and just shooting a few ducks. Mm-hmm. And now I've seen the now the good days are here again. I mean. We had we had an afternoon duck hunt last year, field hunt in Oklahoma last year, where we killed eighty mallards, and and we did it in an hour, and it was it was amazing. And I'm sitting there watching, you know, thousands of mallards work in a field and break off anywhere from two to fifty coming at once and land in the decoys. And I'm thinking, man, it don't get no better than this. Mm -mm. I mean, and, and so you see both. I've seen both sides, and I think we're living in a great time now. I think I agree. Weather there's is a lot of there's a lot of ducks. Yeah, yeah. And, and the we- weather has definitely changed some stuff. But everybody mm-hmm. up north, the 
I'm the same as Andy. I don't like the ice eaters, but I, I would do the same thing if I lived oh, in Oh, 100%. If I, had, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would buy me a place in northern Kansas probably and build me a waterfowl area mm-hmm. with just corn and flooded corn and keep it open all year long just for me and my kids and my right. friends just because that's what well, I like to do. The way I kind of look at it, one of the changes I consider is, is uh, I think the first time I went to Canada was like in the mid-'90s. And uh, it had never been, and, you know, it was just unbelievable. And, but at that point, I didn't know. You know, I didn't know three or four people that, that would go, you know. Mm-hmm. And now I don't know if I could name you three or four people that don't go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it seems like it seems like when you get to September, October, boy, everybody, they pack that trade up and they're gone. You know, it's, uh, and, and here again, that may just be a product of social media and it being more obvious. You know, like that right. could be. But it, it certainly seems like, uh, you know, just about everybody does that now. And. And 10 or 15, 20 years ago, there wasn't very many people that did that. You know, it was basically just the hardcore waterfowl guys. They wanted to go get started. So that's uh, kind of that's that's the difference. But uh, I don't know. It's all it's all different. But uh, it, like I said, it's I think I think the, the ducks are in real good shape. And uh, but old Mother Nature, she's uh, she can balance it right on out. Like I said, we got that stuff we got last year. It put most of them here, and uh, and then we fought ice and but had. It was good hunting in between, but uh, it was uh, it was a cold weather as we've had in quite some time. So, so how do you manage uh, how do you manage your office uh, obligations during hunting season? Uh, do you have you know, certain I, days that prob- you get to take off, or, or have that? poorly? I would say. <laughs> 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 no, that's not true. No, I, I stay pretty I stay pretty uh, pretty connected, and obviously with these phones now, you can stay connected. And right. I don't I don't. I don't duck hunt as much mm-hmm. uh, as I used to. Uh, more times than not, in the, in the fall and into the early winter, you'll catch me in the deer stand in the afternoon, just basically because of commitments, basically with family and, and with here. You know, I can uh, I can get up and take my kids to school and come to work most of the day, and about two o'clock I can slip off and go get a bow stand. So yeah. that uh, you know that's kind of you know kind of where I am. You know, I still take off some days and, and go hunt, and I'll go work. Traditionally, if I'm gonna go hunt a few mornings, you know, I'll, I'll hunt mornings and then I'll work. Usually around duck country, I've got a retailer or two that I'll I'll work in their store for the rest of the day or the next couple of days and and kind of work that away. But as you know, as we get to you know, kind of a little bit before Christmas, it's a it's kind of a crunch time in our business because we're wrapping up our purchase orders for the next fall and there's a whole lot going on. So. Uh, and then once we get into January, it's really kind of go time. So Yeah, and I, I've always said if you want to ensure that you're never going to get to hunt as much as you normally as you used to, get in the mm-hmm. hunting industry. That's right. You know, that's get right. in the camouflage industry. Get in the call-making industry because uh, when everybody's out hunting, that's your selling time, and that's when people it, it are, kinda are thinking is. of you. You can get busy that time of year. There's kind of a lull a little bit into the fall. You know, I'm, right. I love to, to, to bow hunt rut and deer and, and do a and, – uh, do a lot of that, you know, and then, uh, you know, kind of the other lull is once everything kind of gets in place, uh, I am, I'm, I will say I am real bad about not being here for March, April, and May. So, uh, that we is... chase turkeys all over the country and, and just have a ball doing it. I, I call them cheap man's elk hunts. We mm-hmm. go out west and chase them in the mountains. And if this, we're blessed with this um, amount of public land in this country is amazing. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people will do or, or don't like it, but uh, if, you're, if you're willing to put in a little bit of time and research and effort, man, it's all out there. And, and the worst case it comes out of, you can see some real neat country. So, where do, where do you go to chase these turkeys out west? Man, you know, we took a big trip this year. The first time I had been there for, 
had been to, to South Dakota and Wyoming, went oh, to the wow. Black Hills, hunted both sides, yeah. camped out for a week. I mean, man, you just, we had an absolute blast. You know, just cool, clean mountain air. And I will say that that first morning we took off up a, up what I would definitely call a mountain, what they would call a hill. <laughs> uh, it was about 8,000 feet. And uh, it, didn't take, it didn't take long. And I said, hey, man. I can't breathe. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, after a couple of days, you kind of get used to it. But, uh, you know, the further west you go and, and to the northwest, and there's just those massive tracts of public land. And, and really, and truly, turkey hunting in that part of the world, is it's just nothing like it is here in the south as far as the amount of people to do it and, and just the, the amount of, of basically press it gets, you know. So when you get out west and get up north, it's just it's kind of a different deal. And uh, you know, you can find turkeys on public land. You can still find people that let you hunt on their private land you know, just by knocking on the door. So now those are all Miriams up there, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. That's what they were. I actually had a friend of mine. I have been and done it before in northwest Nebraska, and but a friend of mine had had never gotten to, to hunt Merriam, so we went and did that. And just like I said, just had a had a blast. So it'll kind of ruin you. I'm trying to I'm putting together a Montana and Idaho. Wyoming, Oregon, kind of a little four-stater for next spring. Of course, my, my wife's really excited about that. But, <laughs> you know, she's kind of used to it. So I, I tell everybody, I, I double double grand slam the first year we was married. So I, I said, you she ought to know what's up now. So, really? A double? Yeah. Wow. So so you, yeah. was, you were hunting in North Dakota or South Dakota? South Dakota. I was in South Dakota. North Dakota does not allow non-residents to hunt turkeys. So we need to talk to Trump about that. So, <laughs> so where did you... Uh, in, in South Dakota, using the Black Hills, then that's right. Yeah, just in that big, beautiful national forest, and man, some, some, just some of the sites are are just amazing. So, that's, and, I uh, love the Dakotas. I'm telling you that. I right. guess winter. All the motorcycle riders are going to be up here pretty quick. Yeah, they sure are. I, you I know, don't know I, if I'd want to be there for that or not. Maybe I, Twenty I, years ago, I, saw I know a, I wouldn't. I saw a funny yeah. deal where they said that the Mantifa guys are going to go and try to disrupt that Harley deal. Yeah. That'd be. I'd really? like to pay per view. I'd pay big money to watch that, boy. <laughs> Oh man, I'm uh, telling you, we some... did though. We went and seen the monument. That was awesome, and uh, you know, went 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 to Custer. It was just a cool part of the country. So it's it's very highly caters to the tourists, but uh, it's all it's all stuff you need to go see. That's the first time I've seen the monument, so that was pretty cool. We went we went north of there, from there all the way up to uh, Warford, North Dakota, and cut across to Plentywood, Montana, going to Canada. And that, yeah. that when I got north of uh, the Pierre area and went straight north. All them little towns and all the cornfields and sunflower, all the grain fields and the pheasants and deer. Yeah. That just in the water. That's that's God's country right there. It's pretty, it really is. It, it is it is beautiful. And then you understand when you get up there and you start getting close to Saskatchewan and you know they call it the, the land of the living skies. It don't take but one night, one morning to figure out why. That's, that's a beautiful place. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing I notice in that country that that. Uh, we're just not accustomed to down here is uh the amount of 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 light at night oh right yeah you know when yeah. the sun goes down up there in that part of the world buddy it's uh it's dark well no, no, no. <laughs> now we live out you in know? west texas so we we understand yeah, that. So you guys you don't have it. a lot of light disturbance out there either i bet no you yeah. can see the stars pretty much every night so yeah. so yeah. you i'm guessing that you hunt mostly easterns in arkansas we do that's what we've got here in arkansas are easterns and and they're kind of, they've been on a downturn here for the past seven or eight years. Kind of the same thing, basically, the whole southeastern part of the United States is going through right now. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a complicated problem, and, and there's not probably a, a real easy answer to it. You know, it's uh, 
turkeys are kind of like quail and pheasant, you know, a ground nesting bird. It's just all about the hatch. And if the hatches ain't worth a dang, then it's, turkey hunting can just be tough. So we're, we're, we actually cut our season down. Oh, I don't know. I guess it's been four or five years ago now. We're we're just down to we got a little short sixteen morning seasons all we have. So so just a bunch of poor hatches back to back to back. Or what's going that's on? Basically, yeah, yeah, about a decade worth of them now. Oh wow! Really. Yeah, and uh, it's gotten a little bit better here and there. I'm blessed. To, I've got uh, I'm in a a really good lease, and uh, we are just blessed with a lot of turkeys. Now we do. We manage predators a little bit, you know. We got some guys that do a little trapping, a little coyote hunting, and we have a a lot of food plots, and they just kind of survive around those clover plots, is what it, what it appears to be. And uh, so, are y'all not getting the timely rain, or or how? What's what's leading to these? You know, hatches? it's it's that's kind of the thing. They're they're kind of studying all of it right now. You know, uh-huh. with the, as this technology comes along. Uh, you know they're they're tra- they're trapping these birds and, and putting GPS collars on them and, and they're just able to learn more and I I think it you know it, the research takes time and, and uh, I, th- I think it's just going to be one of them things that's probably going to come back to the same old story we always hear but there probably is some truth to it uh, it's just a matter of habitat you know I, I think we're said my place in particular that I hunt is it's real good habitat and therefore mm-hmm. we have a real good turkey population but if you have marginal habitat right now. Combine that with a with some some tough hatches, and you got real marginal hunting. You know, there's places we always for years and years hunted public land here, and that's all we did. We'd go camp first week of turkey season, and and man, come on, it, it we're gonna get on turkeys. We're all gonna kill turkeys. We're gonna have some real good hunts. We're gonna have a good time. There got a time here in the mid 2000s where if you put a gun on me and said, "Let's go find a goblin turkey," I'd Mm, I'd have been a little scared because <laughs> it got hard. It really got hard. And, and the thing that's interesting about that portion of it is not much has changed in that ecosystem. There's wow. more people hunting them now, but uh-huh. you know the the, the hundreds of thousand acres of Washtenaw National Forest. Not a lot of that has changed. They uh-huh. still cut the timber. You know, they still do different things like that. There's more people hunting them. They are kind of doing some burns now that are. That are during the nesting season, which is now that that's a huge debate of, you know, if that's part of the problem. I mean, most of the research says it's not, but uh, you know, it's people believe what they what they see, you know, firsthand. So there's a, I don't know. That I think that's the thing that confuses confuses most of us that have have done it for a little while around here is is the places that used to have a lot. There's not a big they they have that habitat portion hasn't changed that much. So, what you know? What What's is going it, right? On? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's. But like I said, I think that's something the whole southeast is dealing with now. You know, I think. Uh, I think it's just kind of. They're just kind of realizing. And a lot of people, if you pay attention to the southeastern states on the turkey side of things, they are kind of looking to Arkansas for some of the things we're doing. And just, I mean, for mm-hmm. instance, Missouri, man, their kill was off this spring by about thirty percent. Yeah. I read. Uh, I actually you know, read an article that was talking about how bad it was. Mm-hmm. For the and they're southeast. talking, you know, and that's that's kind of considered the the eastern mecca of the world, mm-hmm. and it's the whole state is considered, you know, really good habitat. So, yeah, there's there's something to it, you know. And they but were down thirty percent this year. I believe so. Yeah, wow. Quite a bit. I mean, you know, back in you know back in the in the in the two thousand, you know, Missouri was killing fifty, sixty thousand easterns in a three week season, you know. So, I mean, that's a lot of turkeys. And we all went up there and 
and still do. And uh, but here again, it's like like we say about a lot of things. It's that portion though. It's not like it used to be. Uh, yep. And I think that's just a product of we've had a growth in turkey hunters. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's uh, that's okay. Man, there's there's plenty of room for all of us. So. Yeah. Uh, and there's like there's lots of places around this country to hunt them, but uh, I don't know. It's, that part of it has just have just changed a little bit. But they're doing a lot of studies here, and I think what you're going to see even in the southeast uh, is kind of similar to what we did here. Everybody loves that marsh turkey hunting. I mean, I I do for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. The thing with that is is traditionally those hens aren't receptive yet, but the gobblers are ready. So it's uh it's kind of like calling during the pre rut. So right. They come, they come pretty good. So I think what they're figuring out is uh, we may have been dusting them a little bit before they had an opportunity to breathe is, is kind of what they say here. So our season opens a little bit later, and that in turn, the idea there is to allow that gobbler to, to make sure he breeds all the available hen, you know, before he gets put in the freezer. That makes sense. I, I One of the books I read, um, I was a terrible, terrible turkey hunter. There's no telling how many uh, clients we lost just because I was so bad when I first started. And about my second year into it, I called in my first, it might have even been my third year. I don't I mean, I was, I was God awful at turkey hunting. And I read every piece of literature I could find on turkey hunting. And, and one of the things that said was, uh, seasons generally start two weeks after their peak breeding season, just for the reasons that you laid out, uh, mm-hmm. right there. Make sure that the gobblers have had a couple had a couple hens bred and all that other good stuff, and I didn't know that. I thought we were hunting during the prime time, but you know, I think it kind of depends. You know, I think some of it's you know a little bit weather related and, and that kind of thing. You know, everything just kind of depends on the situation. You know, really and truly, I have been to I have been to some places that are jam uploaded with turkeys, mm-hmm. and been there two or three mornings when you couldn't have, you couldn't have paid one a hundred dollar bill to gobble. That's just kind of how they just turkeys being turkeys sometimes. So. That's how it goes, you know. I think the probably the thing that that uh, that most people do, I know, kind of like we do when we go out of state. Uh, we uh, we like to go see the sites and do all that kind of thing. But man, for the most part, our boots are on the ground for the most of the day. And uh, yeah, if you're doing that, and you're in turkey habitat. You're gonna bump into one eventually. That's kind of what we always believe in, and, and kind of stay at them, you know. Where did you have to go to shoot your uh, Osceola, Florida? Yeah, yeah, down south Florida. Sure did. That's a that's a a heck of a place you know a lot of people think about the beach <laughs> yeah think about florida and the ocean and but i tell you what man you get into inland florida and it is rural it's cattle country and it is man you talk we just thought we were rednecks <laughs> and they is some rednecks in florida now i mean i am here to tell you everybody's got a a truck with a lift kit and a big swamp buggy and and uh, we actually had a had a great deal we've got some guys that uh have a, have a farm down there, and they like to duck hunt. I mean, it just it worked out really well. So now we're the, I've never hunted Osce. I've never hunted Miriam's either. But are Osceolas are they kind of the, are they the hardest bird to get, or are Easterns the hardest? You know, I think I think they probably I think they probably are. If you're down there hunting heavily pressured private land or heavily heavily pressured public land, I think they probably are really tough. Uh, you know, we were lucky to have a a fine place, so it was uh, they they weren't uh, heavily pressured or. Or hunted a lot, and we hunted them just like we would hunt any other turkeys, and had had real good luck. So, but I think if a guy goes down there and you're gonna cut your teeth on some of that South Florida public land, the first thing you're gonna have to have to really be be ready and and uh, you know deal with what uh, 
what's going to be a lot of people and a lot of walking and a lot of water and probably a lot of snakes and a few out. I'm out. Yeah, that's it for me. Yeah. Right there, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I never will forget. I did not own a pair of snake boots, and uh, we get headed out going to Florida, Florida, and I thought, man, I got to give me some snake boots. Yeah, I surely I do. And uh, so, of course, we get down there, and old boy said, man, we ain't seen a rattlesnake here in seven years, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I wore them for about a day, and I. I hurt my feet so bad, and I said, golly, I'll never do that again. I'll I, never did wear them again. I wouldn't worry about rattlesnakes. I'd worry about fucking cobras and boa constrictors right. and freaking right. alligators. We were lucky. Where we were was really dry. And uh, But the problem with that stuff, man, you get in some of those places, which it, traditionally it's not where the turkeys are, but it's where you have to go through to get to them. There's a lot of that stuff you can't see your feet. I'm not a big mm. fan oh, of that. No. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out already. I have a tough time yeah. here. You know, it's yeah. always dry, but if I can't, if I can't see my feet, I'm... I'm, I'm gonna yeah, find a I'm gonna find a different them, way to get to that tree. A bunch of them old rattlers out there in y'all's country. So yeah, but you know, I mean, I'll tell you, I hadn't seen a rattler in probably four years. But you see them yeah. on the road all the time, though. I mean, they're yeah, here. They're here that's for that's sure. That. Yeah, they're here. But I just, like I yeah. said, I'd stay on the beaten path. I'm not. Uh, yeah, knock on wood. And traditionally, any of them that, that we run into, you know, don't put yourself in a bad situation. You know, that's the biggest thing. Get out of his way. We had, we had a guide that worked for us one year, and we told him the peanut fields held lots of rattlesnakes. And mm-hmm. he was scared to death to lay in the hole that he was going to end up having a snake come up out of it. I mean, because yeah. we, <laughs> dig, we dig a hole to hunt in, and yeah. he just could not grasp that it was – they're just not everywhere. We have them, but mm-hmm. when wintertime gets here, you don't see them. But we do see rattlesnakes in the winter now, and we used to not. They're getting they're, – they're, they're out year-round now just about. I mean, no, they'll den up when it gets really cold. But we see snakes all the time now, and we used to never see snakes in the winter. Y'all don't deal with them like they do down south, though. No, no, they don't ever den up down south. It's too hot. No, no, that place, like I said, my my buddy's place up there in King County, it was kind of the same thing. He had them. You needed to pay attention to what you were doing, but uh, it wasn't. uh, It wasn't. There wasn't enough of them to. They get enough winter up there that it wasn't. They weren't overpopulated by any means. I tell you what, we did do one evening though. We had the. Oh boy, there shot a deer with a bow. And he said, man, I, I think he's down. He said, we'll go. I'm going to give him a little bit, though. We'll go get him, uh, you know, about an hour after dark. And I said, all right, that sounds fine. And it was one of them Octobers, you know, where it's, you know, it makes 85 or 90 out there during the day. Y'all know yep. how it is. And just as soon as it gets dark, yep. you need a, you need a jacket. Yeah, you know? the bottom falls out. And, yeah, and it was uh, and it was the same kind of deal. And uh, so we headed out, and we had to take his ranch kind of bent around. You had to get out on the pavement for about a half mile to go to this side. And I'll never forget, man. We pulled out on that pavement, and there was one of them that was stretched from, he was from white line to yellow line. Holy. Huh. All he did, he just turned right around. <laughs> <laughs> he said, we'll go get him in the morning. <laughs> yeah. He said, he'd be right there. Yeah, yeah. he was. <laughs> it, it's cold. Sure enough, home, he didn't say a word. He just wheeled it right around. And I knew, I thought, okay, all right, you ain't, ain't going to play that game. <laughs> I'm going to change things yeah. up a little bit. You, you stay in the deep woods of Arkansas a lot hunting. So I'm going to go back to the question we had before. We've gotten away from this question. Yeah. But I'm going to bring it back up. If you've listened to the podcast, you've heard me ask, have you ever encountered anything in the woods that scared you or you didn't know what it is? Andy's shaking his head. AKA, he AKA Bigfoot. He's have, beating around the bush. Have, have you ever had no, anything that bothered no. you or scared you? No. No Bigfoot. I've had some people got real scared by a screech owl or two. but They will make your hair it. stand up. Woo, man, won't they? Especially if you ain't ready for it. Well, <laughs> grown men are scared of the dark, most of them. They won't admit oh, it. Oh, there's no question. But yeah. I, I, we see it all the time, and we're we're not in the woods and stuff. We're out here flat. Every, you know, you can see mm-hmm. just about yeah. everywhere. You guys, when y'all go in the woods to deer hunt, you're in the middle of nowhere. 
in, yeah, in some cases, you know, it's it's just some cases. I think the if I know where I'm at, man, I don't have really any big problems now. You know, if it's somewhere I've never been, and, and uh, you know, you get down and there, there's pieces of the White River bottoms that are that all kind of look the same, and you know, everybody has that "I'm not going to get lost" kind of mentality. And it can happen, but today's age, with all the we've got GPS, XPS, QRS, everything in the world, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it's hard to get lost. You can still get turned around, but uh, I've never seen anything too wild. You know, I have to think about that. I've never. I've never really found anything too wild or seen anything too wild. Do y'all have Do y'all have bears where y'all are at? We do. I tell you what, we have we have quite a few bears. Uh, but you know, bears are bears traditionally don't they just don't make themselves seen for whatever reason. As a matter of fact, the place I hunt has quite a few of them. And and right now, uh, I can probably send you pictures. I bet we've got I've got I think eight or nine cameras out. There's probably bears on two or three of them. And uh, I think you just get in that portion of the summer where we're at right here, where things are a little bit crispy, mm-hmm. and there's and there's not a whole lot to really to eat that they like. Uh, but just as soon as that first acorn hits the ground, buddy, they're gone, and you won't hardly see them again. Now we have a season, you know, we have a season on them here that opens uh, late September, early October, what? and uh, I think we kill a couple hundred a year. I think that's you know probably about what they kill. What's what's a big bear or an average bear in y'all's area weigh? You know, I think. Average would probably be 200, 250. I think the record is 550. See, bears interest me because we don't have any. It's like people up north, they want to ask us about wild hogs. Well, shit, Mm -hmm. I ain't going to walk across the street and shoot a pig. We got tons of them. And you Mm -hmm. see them all the time. But a bear is something. Bears are, they're they're something. The guys, and you can bait them here. uh, And that is basically the most effective way to to, to hunt them. And uh, the thing about baiting a bear, though, man, anybody that's done it, they'll tell you that is a a chore. Uh, You've got to keep them. You got to you got to keep that bait loaded. You got to do it better for two or three days, and, and once they get on it, you you got to keep them there and keep them happy. And it's uh, I don't know. I've helped a couple guys do it, and uh, it's just not quite my forte. We had to pick up load of, of donuts and all this other <laughs> kind of stuff, man. And it's just like I don't know. Man. I just that's uh, I don't I don't think this is for me. But that's that is the effective way to hunt them, you know. And we were involved here with we've actually got a. Uh, Arkansas Black Bear Association. Clay Newcomb runs that, and uh, Clay lives up northwest Arkansas, where they have quite a few bears up there too. And uh, so I kind of got a lot of a lot of information, you know, from him on on uh, on the bears. And the thing about our season, where it opens, uh, it opens around the third week of September. And if if that bear season could open about ten days sooner, the success rates would go way up, just due to when that first we get that september thunderstorm that puts a little bit of that mass on the ground it's mm. it's they just they pull off a bait and they just go cold and it makes it tough on the guys now i would uh, be suspect to say that our state agency also knows that and uh they know how to keep from from maybe killing more than they want to so yeah so they're real susceptible to bait up until those first acorns get coming yeah so back to waterfowl hunting you know we've We've talked about on the podcast how the numbers, uh, the number of hunters, just kind of aren't in our favor, and in each year we no. kind of see more and more fall out. What can we, what can we do to to get more people uh, involved? You know, that's that's the thing that I think everybody in our business is really concerned about. And you know, the the, the thing, my thing on it is, you hear people talk about, oh, you got to take the kids, you got to take the kids. There's no question you do. There's mm-hmm. no question. But when you when you take when you take your neighbor kid and go hunting, man, he has a great time. He loves it. Well, he don't get to go again until you take him. Right. 
So that's a problem. If he don't have keys, that's a problem. So you got to get the ones that have keys, which means we got to get the parents involved. And that's that's I think you're starting to see that now. From I think more people are talking about that. But you got to get the guy that's got the keys involved. And, and the thing is, if you can get these parents to to treat the outdoors like they treat baseball and football and, and basketball, the way they'll dedicate to do whatever it takes to get that kid, little Johnny, on time to the baseball game. Mm-hmm. If you can get them to to take that same mentality into hunting, I mean, I think we, we can sustain these numbers and see some growth, you know. But right now there's so many other things going on in their lives that, uh, you know, I've got a neighbor now. I've took him and his son a few times, and he wants to get into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's daunting. It's a little – the amount of equipment – you know, we don't really think about it because we've been amassing stuff our whole life. Sure. You know, and but the the things that, that it really kind of takes, and you can do it bare bones, no question. But but if you want to be successful and you want to be successful even in, in just having a good time, the key's going to be being prepared. Uh, so I think that's that's kind of one of the things that, that's opened my eyes. Uh, you know, one of the, the things we're seeing uh, out here, I don't know if it's, it's made it out there to the big empty yet, but it's made it's made it to it's made it to Arkansas. But one of the things we're kind of seeing is is uh, you know there's been a huge movement of uh, you know kind of knowing where your food comes from. Right. So we're seeing we're seeing some hunter increase from that. These mm-hmm. are guys that are in their twenties, thirties, and forties that want to learn to hunt, and they they don't they don't want to learn to hunt for any other reason other than to put meat in the freezer. Yeah. And you know I think that's where we're going to see the next opportunity of of new hunters coming into the sport. And these guys are, hey, I'm all for them, man. We, we need more of them. I, want, I love a guy that wants to go out there and shoot a six-point and be happy. Sure. I mean, that's, I love that because the way this thing has gotten now, man, it's all about the inches or the pile or the this or the that. And, and that that part of it is going to phase itself out. It's just right. going to. Uh, you know, that's just what's, that's it's going to happen. It's going to be more about, the experience and going to get something and and you you take it you clean it you put it in the freezer and it, it's it's kind of it tells a it kind of tells a story I mean, I mean that's how it was when I was a kid you know I know you know and that's uh that we were all so accustomed to it that we didn't know there were people that didn't do it you know right we all grew up we grew up in rural towns and you know, I got off the school bus, and as long as my chores were done, man, I grabbed that 410 shotgun, and I took off. I'm going to go shoot me two or three squirrels, <laughs> you know. And that's just what that's just what we all kind of did. And, uh, you know, now things have just changed. There's there's not as there's not as many people in those rural communities. Now those kids in those rural communities still doing that? I bet they are, you know. But the thing is, there's, there's more of us now that are in the suburban kind of lifestyle. So it takes a, such a greater effort uh you know, to really, to get it going. And I think that really, you just have to get the parents involved. It has to be something that the parents want to be involved in, you know, where they want to say, okay, you know what, we dedicate, you know, this, this amount of time to sports and this amount of time to this. We're going to have to dedicate X amount of budget and X amount of time that, hey, man, we're going to deer camp. Right. You, you, know? You, you know, you discussed the, the, the parents. I think a lot of the problem is availability of places to go because you said probably in rural areas it's there's no question. But but even in the rural areas we don't have, we live in a small town, twelve hundred people, and the young kids in our town don't hunt like they used to. I mean, no. I grew up in Wichita Falls, a hundred thousand people, and I went to school with a bunch of kids that hunted. I mean, a bunch. I don't know. Now, 
now back then probably 90 percent of every kid in knock city was hunting and but they mm-hmm. don't do that anymore but it's available access to places to go hunt is it's a the problem access because yeah. and texas is kind of a Texas is, is, is an island on its own on that. I mean, you guys are not blessed with the amount of public access that most places are. I mean, here in this state, from from the from the capital city here in Little Rock, man, within 45 minutes, we can be sitting on the ridge top of the deer rifle on public land and, and possibly have a chance to shoot one if we've scouted it right. Yeah, we, so that, don't, we, we, don't have, we don't have public land. But mm-hmm. even when I first came to Knox City and started hunting in the mid-'90s, there was no deer hunting here hardly at all. I mean, there was a few deer hunting, but there wasn't there wasn't no deer leases and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now you get outside of town a half mile, and every piece of property's got is, is a deer lease now, and it's, it's that way tried. it's that way all yep. over Texas because of the deer. They don't care if you shoot the ducks and the geese. The most right. most farmers probably wouldn't care if you shot your their quail, but their money is on those deer and those pigs. And yep, so that's that's exactly right, and that's you know we're we're the same way. You know when I I was. I was probably 14 years old when I first heard the term deer lease. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of when it started here within the, it came from there, I'm sure, you know, it was in the mid eighties and these timber companies, you know, they start leasing for, for deer rights. And now it's just obviously it's common all across the country, but, uh, and you know, it's still what I would call relatively affordable here. If you want to join a, a deer club in Arkansas, you can do that for anywhere from 500 to say $1,500 a year. And that's, Probably get you a place to park your camper and, you know, put you a few stands up and that kind of thing. So you can do the same kind of thing. We're blessed with a rich amount of public land, but the amount of effort it's going to take for you to get the same or as good of success on that public land, it's going to take you longer. You know, you're going to, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to be okay with the process, you know, because it's going to be a process, especially if you're a new hunter. You know? in, in, uh, in Texas, if you want a place to hunt for you and your kids on a deer lease, it's, it's, that's a decent deer lease. You're going to have to spend to get a family spot on a lease at least five thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of families that. don't have four hundred a month, which is what five thousand right. dollars to, to to spend on hunting, not counting no traveling and yep. everything else. I have right. local guys that'll come to me and say, "Hey, Jeff," he said, "I, I want to take Junior Dove Hunt. Do you have a place we can go?" And and I let people go. I don't charge anybody local. I'm, I don't mind if they go during the week when we're not busy. If I got a place mm-hmm. I can go shoot some dove, I, I, I let them go. But it, it's getting harder, and I think that's the problem. And Clay Reed, the coyote man, it's been on a few times. He's got a new thing he's starting now called Make America Hunt Again, where he's mm-hmm. urging people to take kids that don't ever get a hunt, and even adults, and expose them. You don't take them all the time, but take them once and let them right. see what it's about because we have got to get the youth of this country off the Xbox and in the outdoors. I'm telling you, man, it's a – it, it is a, uh, it's a, it's a complicated thing, you know. And like I said, I promise you, I understand. I got kids, and and if you let them, they would be on that thing from when they're awake until they fall asleep every day. I mean, that's just what they would do. Uh, you've you've got to get them, you know, excited, and, and we cater to them now. You know, is what's interesting. We have youth seasons, you know, that are, that are structured around, you know, before the big seasons kind of come in, and and they're participated in. You know, Arkansas is a, you know, we're it's where we we go after them actively you know i feel pretty good about where we live and when we try to to get as many kids out there as we can but uh it's it's a tough problem because even even if you do it on public land just the equipment and the time and the back and forth you know but it's 
it's just not like when you, when we lived on 25 or 100 acres and you walked out the back door. So, yeah, we, we, uh, defi- we definitely need that. we got to get the kids involved. And, and we need another Phil Robertson, and this is funny because a lot of duck hunters, well, they, they hated it because when Duck Dynasty come out, <laughs> the, yeah, they all did. the public water was full, all these Barneys as they call them. But you know what? Yeah. Phil and them got kids interested in hunting again. Yeah, they got they got they got some new people involved. They did, you know, they they really did, and that's, you know, at, at the end of it all, you know, that's a good thing. And I think we'll continue to see more people get involved just just because the where we are on our on our research on or on our the resource of, of these whitetail deer, man, we got plenty of them right now, and you know why not get you a couple to put on the freezer? You know why not? And that's I think more and more people are, are learning about it. You can read i follow different blogs and different things like that about uh these states and these individuals that have created these learn to hunt programs you know arkansas mm-hmm. is in the midst of one and they're all booking they're all filling up so there's it's not that it's a matter that people don't want to that they want to they do want to they're there hunting is still not overall looked down on in this country and i, I think there's a great opportunity right now to really kind of put it back in the limelight, you can you can Google it right now and just Google hunting for food or Google the term locavore and read about that. Okay, this is stuff that's been in mainstream media, where it's going to become where you know what uh, you be out in L.A. and invite all your buddies over because you you killed a wild boar, <laughs> you right. know, as they as they call it. So, and you know, there's some different shows out there that do a good job about it. Steve Rinella, Meat Eater, man, that guy does he does an awesome job with the message. And kind of, you know, there's a lot of different people that are kind of following along on that that want to participate in it. So you're the, you're as far the... as how you get them, how you get them and grab them, man, it's almost, it's a grassroots level. You know, it's kind of your neighbor and saying, hey, man, you know, let's do this. I'm going to help you. You know, and that's what you, and, until they feel confident, confident enough, you know, to kind of go it on, on their own. The, the thing that I'd like to see more as you're going to see more from us, but I'd like to see more from from all these outdoor companies, kind of opening their arms to these people because they're there, right? And they want something. They want somebody to help them. You know, a lot of times they're man. Could you imagine? Just think. Put yourself. Let's say you're 30 years old. And your son wants to go deer hunting. Let's say you don't know anybody that deer hunts. Let's say you don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Put yourself walking into a sporting goods store and asking that old grumpy guy behind the counter. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not going to come back. No. You're not going to come back. You're going to be you're going to be flushed out immediately. So that's you know that's the thing. I think we've got to be prepared to to grab these people while they're available and say, "Hey, we're here to help you. Here's how you do it." You know, because a lot of it's shrouded in in complication. <laughs> you know, yeah. where it really shouldn't need to be because these guys aren't trying to kill 200 inch deer, man. They're trying to go kill a deer. Right. So you know that's a uh, that's what I kind of think, and that's probably what you're going to kind of see more from our theme kind of go from, you know, socially uh, is going to be kind of more on on that long, learn to hunt kind of thing and knowing where your food comes from. I mean, I, you know, when I met my wife, she didn't, she'd never had anything wild in her entire life. But she's into this working out, and she's into all this. Uh-huh. And, all and I said, well, you need to try this kind of deal, and then, you know, the more she did it, the more we introduced people to it. And now that's all she cooks. That's all. That's that's it. You know, we have people come over once, probably once a month that have never had it. You know, hey, sit down and try it. I promise you, I put a bacon wrap around them back straps. Man, <laughs> if you can say no to that, I don't know what to tell you. 
you know, or yeah. bacon wrapped doves. That's only about a month away. Woo! I'm, I'm telling you, that is that is yeah. my wife's favorite. Uh, she she would she would have bacon wrapped dove over a, a filet mignon. I'm just glad there's a limit on them, or they'd be extinct. Because <laughs> <laughs> they sure are good. They, they you really know, are. It, it doesn't. You you guys are lucky down there. So it's kind of a we get maybe two weekends out of it here, and they're kind of gone. Y'all can have good dove hunting for a whole month. We have it all Six year. Weeks. Yeah. Yeah, we we hunt hard six to seven weeks. The first seven weeks of the season, we just about will be sold out with corporate groups. But our dove season opens again in December and runs through like three mm-hmm. weeks of January now, and yeah. the hunting is just as good or better then than it is during September and October. I, I think it's better in the wintertime because there's bigger congregations of them. Well, I've, we've had that one or two times where I've got into them, then, and it was just it wasn't on purpose. You know, it was like be out scouting ducks or something, and, and be like, hey dove season is open you know and then, mm-hmm. yeah all right we're dove hunting tomorrow so that's yeah but they're they're kind of it's a big to do here you know the first day or two and then kind of a flurry the next weekend and then it's just kind of like you couldn't hardly go find one we'll, we'll harvest somewhere i would guess between 10 and fifteen thousand dove in a year if, I, if, I, if i'm guessing I, mean, I have never done the numbers i didn't even thought about it you just now. uh if you get any extras, you can just box them on up. <laughs> now, I will say this is a good segue for this because this is uh, something that I have answered before. If you're dove hunting in the wintertime and you plan on duck hunting the next morning, make sure your blind bag does not have any That's lead right. in it. You will get a ticket <laughs> if the game warden sees it. Reg- in fact, he is, he is not going to believe the story. They, none of them go for that. They, they all say, I've heard that before. Yeah. And I've answered that question before, so I'm going to address it now because this is a great segue. Do not have lead in your blind bag when you're duck hunting because you will get a ticket. All right, John, we have taken up enough of your time. I know you're a busy, busy man. What can we expect from natural gear coming forward? Season's about here. What what what's a what's a basic starter kit? What does what do the guys need to get for this upcoming season? Man, all the new things we've got coming out this year probably actually have more updated and new products this year probably than we've ever had in the history of the company, really and truly. So if you're a waterfowler, be sure and go to naturalgear.com and check out all that new cut-down series. That stuff is all designed around the everyday use, the guy that's out there in the field. All that stuff's done super well for us this year and is hitting those store shelves right now. So check out your favorite retailer, and hopefully he's got it. Uh, if you're a deer hunter, uh we make a full line of a windproof fleece that we've actually made it for years and years. A fantastic seller. It's windproof, water resistant, and even even crosses over into the duck blind uh, just fine. A lot of guys wear that all throughout the duck season. So just check all those things out. And really, I think what you'll find from us and in the new fields pattern, whatever it is that you're doing, man, we've got something that'll that'll take care of you. If you haven't tried us, man, it's a it's a real good opportunity to give us a try because uh, I think you'll think you'll be surprised what uh, if you tried us in the past and it you might uh, you might have thought well this isn't this isn't quite what i what i thought i was going to get if you'll give us another look i think you'll uh, i think you'll be surprised coming up with new stuff every day and as we talked about in the beginning of the podcast listeners of this podcast you are going to have your chance to win a cut down waterfowl jacket sent over from the guys at natural gear so um i'm going to go ahead and go over the rules for that what you got to do to win this jacket is you're going to have to go like Stanfield Hunting Outfitters page and Natural Gears page on Instagram and Facebook if you hadn't already. Then you're going to go to iTunes, write a review on the Big Honker podcast, 
and I'm going to share a picture of this beautiful cut-down waterfowl jacket on our Facebook page. You're going to share that on your Facebook, and then come back and comment, done. And that is it. So, all you got to do, like both pages, Natural Gear and Stanford Hunting Outfitters. Go to iTunes, write us a review. Look for the picture of the cut-down waterfowl jacket on the Stanfield page. Share it. And comment done. And you will be entered to win. And we're going to draw that on next Monday. What is that? July 30th? Yeah, July 30th. And it is a beautiful-looking jacket. Like like we talked about earlier, it's kind of got all the bells and whistles that uh, a waterfowler is going to want. And may or may not rig this thing to where I can win that, that jacket for sure. <laughs> it's a good-looking jacket. And the promo code is Big Honker, B-I-G-H-O-N-K-E-R, uppercase letters, 15, or 1-5, Big Honker 15 at the checkout at Natural Gear, and you can save 15% on all your purchases. So even if you don't win this jacket, you can go to Natural Gear, pick out what you're going to want for this upcoming season, and you got a promo code where you can save yourself some money. John, we really, really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day. I know that y'all are ramping up for the season, so... The fact that you would sit down and take an hour and 15 minutes out of your day to talk with us, uh, we can't thank you enough for that. Appreciate you guys, man. Look forward to listening to some more podcasts. I'm an official subscriber now. So <laughs> I, I try to stay try to stay caught up with them. So I think uh, good to see you guys doing so well. And for anybody that's uh, anybody that, that's wanting to know more about the company, this is going to be a great place for it. And they not only do when they use that code, they get 15 off. But right now, it's 99 dollars for free shipping. So doesn't get any better than that. So there you have it. Go to Natural. I mean, I'm tell. I've been telling guys the season's so close. I can taste it. Get all the stuff that you're going to need. So go to Natural Gear. And uh, John, once again, thank you so much, and and have a good day. Hopefully, we can get you out here and uh, enjoy a lesser lesser goose hunt. Or you can shoot like some doves, or shoot some doves in September. Whenever. Let's just do it all. Do yeah. it all. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, guys. Hey, thank you, John. We appreciate it. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was John Adams, president of Natural Gear, and that's naturalgear.com. Look them up. they got some great products out there. An official sponsor of the Big Honker Podcast. Yes, that's true. And we're, like I said, so thankful to have them on uh, and thankful to have them as a sponsor, too. They've got a lot of good stuff coming out. For that guy that was in traffic that wasn't paying attention, tell him again how they can win that jacket. Okay. Here's the rules. It is a natural cut-down waterfowl jacket. It's got all the bells and whistles, zippers where, you know, you got, you got pockets everywhere that you need them. Um, what you're going to have to do, I'm going to I'm gonna post a picture of this beautiful jacket that Natural Gear has been nice enough to donate to the Big Honker Podcast, and I'm going to post it on the Stanfield Hunting Outfitters page. So what you're going to have to do is, uh, if you hadn't already, be sure that you've liked us on Instagram and Facebook, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, Go Like Natural Gear, Instagram, Facebook. Um, once I post that picture, you need to share it on your Facebook page, okay? And then in the comment section on the original post on Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, and I actually didn't mention this when John was on, tag three of your buddies and comment done. And then once you do that on social media, go to iTunes, leave us a review on the Big Honker Podcast review section, and you will be entered to win. That's it. Simple, simple. And you're going to have uh, the newest gear from Natural Gear. And, folks, 
this week. So, Go hold ahead. on before you do All that. Right. I'm going to re- recap. Okay. I'm going to post a picture. You got to share it on your Facebook page. Go to the comment section on the original post. Tag three friends, comment done. And then go over to iTunes and leave us a review on the Big Honker podcast page. That's it. That's all you got to do. Jeff, sorry to interrupt you. That's okay. Okay, folks. Here's what else we got. This is the, this podcast is going to be coming out Wednesday, which I'm sure you'll know that because you'll be listening to it on Wednesday or Thursday or whenever you listen to it. Friday's episode will be Sean Mann. And if you're an East Coast waterfowler or you've been in the waterfowl business for or waterfowl hunting for any length of time, you know who Sean Mann is. He's the Eastern Shoreman. He is the man. If we don't have a baby, that will be on Friday. We're still waiting on Juju to get here. And I know y'all are thinking, God, that poor lady, she's got to be swelled up like a watermelon, and she is. But any day, Juju could be here. And if Juju gets here, that would change the scheduling on this. But Friday, Sean Mann will be on here. Uh, got a really big guest going to be here in August. We'll be re- able to release the name of that pretty soon. It'll be the Probably the biggest guest we've ever had, probably one of the most interesting guys we could in the whole United States we could possibly have on here. It's not President Trump. Well, I can't get them to answer me. Did you really send him a message? No, but I'm going to. Send him a message. I'll make America, America great no. again. That's right. All I can do is say no. Or not get back to you. That's even worse. Well, I haven't done it. I'm sure he he's a busy man. He got a little bit more in his he's mind. Got, Maybe I'll Twitter him. Maybe you can get DJ, Donald Jr. He's a hunter and he's friends with one of our hunters. He ain't got shit going on. Him right and now. Mike Matoy are buddies. I know. So maybe Mike. I don't know. So, anyways, what else we got? Dove season. I've got the third weekend in September open for a group, one room left. I can do six to eight people the third weekend of September. I don't have anything available until the first weekend in October. We're going to have a father-son dove hunt weekend that weekend. I will have prices avail- and availability for that open here pretty quick. We'll have father-son weekend. Do what? Dove hog. And a dove hog. Con- we'll do dove hog combos starting in October. Unguided hog hunt, dove hunts. All the month of October. We got anything else going on? Not really. And I need somebody from Idaho or Montana to get a hold of me and give me a place to come up and go hunt, and we'll come up and film and shoot and hang out with you. Basically, we're going to Democrat a hunt off of you. <laughs> Jeff and Ed are looking for a place to go. Ed will go with me, won't you, Ed? Ed's not paying attention to me. Ed's got his earbuds in. He's watching porn or something. Um, did, speaking of porn, did you see Jimmy Garoppolo's catching shit? He dated a uh, porn star. She wasn't even a porn. I mean, she was, but she's like an older lady, too. She wasn't even pretty. I saw pictures yeah. of her. What, she, he dated her? Or he well, just, he took her out on a date. Right. And she te- she tweeted something like something to the effect of. Little penis? I'm going to. No, I don't, I don't know about that. She said something like after it was over, like, well, I'm going to have to thank this man for a wonderful dinner he gave me or some shit. I'll tell you what, if I was his parents, yeah. I'd be so freaking embarrassed. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo could pull some serious tail. He's a good looking dude. I mean, well, I don't get into that stuff. You don't think he's a good-looking man? I've never noticed him. He's got a good jawline. Okay, well, he's got a jawline then. Uh, but anyways, he could pull some serious tail. Sure. Ben Roethlisberger's not pretty, and he could pull some serious tail. I mean, if you're an NFL quarterback, you're going to have your pick of women. Yeah. And he could damn sure do a lot better than an used-up porn star. Yeah. I, I just don't, I don't understand that. But, yeah, I don't think she's much of a, I don't think she's much of a looker. But yeah, that's basically it. Not much else going on. Waiting on that baby. Any day now. So we've I, been saying that for three weeks, but it is any day now. I'm sure Jessie's ready a lot more than you are. Yeah, I got a text. She said uh, she her ankles are pretty swollen today. Luckily, the hottest part of the year is over with. 
We hope. We hope. Well, we I saw the forecast. It's just going to be in the 90s here. Will you tell her I understand them swollen ankles? I used to have them sometimes. Yep. And they hurt bad. Hell, Dad has them every day. He don't complain about every them. Every day. But anyway, that's basically it. Say, saying goodbye to uh, July, one Thank day at a time. God. Got a hunting season coming up in another, what, 10 days? Two weeks? Two weeks. Hunting season? It's a hunting show, I'm sorry. Yes. No, We, st- we our hunting show will be in Fort Worth on August 10th, 11th, and 12th. Yep. So about two week, two weeks from this weekend. Yep, two weekend, two weekends, two weeks away from this weekend. And basically, when August gets here, we're talking about it's hunting shows, yeah. football season, preseason football. Preseason starts August second. I tell you, I'm ready. That's I, that's next Thursday. I am so freaking ready. Next Thursday. Yep, we can make it. Thank you, Jesus. But that's basically it. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you again to uh, John Adams of Natural Gear for coming on. Thank you for uh, being a sponsor, and thank you for donating this beautiful cut-down waterfowl jacket. I'll go over the rules one more time for those of you who weren't listening. I think they've got it after two times. Well, here we go. you never know. Like us on Facebook and Instagram, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters and Natural Gear. Write a review on iTunes of the Big Honker Podcast. It could be a one-star review. I don't even give a shit. If you like it, make it five-star reviews, please. Uh, and then... I'm going to post a picture of that beautiful, beautiful jacket, new from Natural Gear, on the Stanfield page. All you got to do is share it on your page. Go back to the comment section. Tag three of your friends, comment, done. And you will be eligible to win. We will pick a winner July 31st. Here's what I want you to do, folks. I want you to go to Whole Foods, WilliamCrisWines.com, <laughs> buy a bottle of Sway Rosé. I want you to go to 737DuckCalls and buy a duck call. I want you to go to Natural Gear and buy you a new jacket. They do have a promo code, all caps, Big Honker 15. So even if you don't win the jacket, save yourself 15%. Then, then jump over at Dive Bomb and buy you some Sandhill Crane Silhouettes and then book a crane hunt with us and go to Brent Falks down Big Spring and hunt over his his uh, Dive Bomb Silhouettes. Anyways, thank you for listening. God bless you. Uh, go to iTunes, please. Give us some reviews. You See you, folks. Follow me on Instagram at Andy underscore Shaver.